Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. We are in part three of our February series on relationships, where we've been looking at primarily marriage, but honestly, the principles that we've been looking at would apply to dating, even engaged couples as well. And speaking of marriage, I got a question for all you married couples. Have you ever thrown anything? I'm not talking about a Frisbee or a baseball or softball, right? I'm talking about in a moment of extreme frustration and anger, picked up something and thrown it. No one's going to be, I, I, seriously, last service, two people raised their hand. It kind of surprised me. So now I know who not to tick off, I guess. So, but uh, actually, I, I've, I've, I've never thrown anything. Uh, I did put my fist through a wall once, but that's for another sermon. But the reason that I ask that question is because the Bible actually instructs us to do just that, to throw some things, not at our spouse, not at our spouse, but at God. And in the context of our series and what we've been talking about, the things that we're instructed to throw are the things that are in this uh, invisible box here. Uh, these things that uh, the the things that we imagined uh, when we thought about uh, what our marriage would look like, uh, the house that we would live in, you know, the money, how we would spend our money, uh, the size of our family, how many children we would have, how we would spend holidays and our time and all that stuff. And uh, we we talked about how you know when we come into a, a relationship, into a marriage, uh, we 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 don't intentionally do this; it just kind of happens. Uh, but we bring these these boxes with us. Uh, but the problem is. When you're on the receiving end of these, they don't seem like hopes, dreams, and desires. They seem more like uh, expectations. They seem like homework. They seem like a burden. Uh, so, so at that point, it, it, it's not fun anymore for the person on the receiving end uh, when these things become expectations because at that point, the relationship becomes a transactional relationship. The moment that we expect our spouse to make our hopes, dreams, and desires come true, the marriage becomes a debt-debtor relationship. And when the relationship becomes transactional, uh, it's not as much fun anymore because everyone's negotiating, right? Everyone's negotiating. Well, you know, we did it your way last time. It's, you know, time to do it my way. We spent last Easter with your family. It's time to spend this holiday with my family. Uh, you got to blow the budget last month, so I get to blow the budget this month, and back and forth and back and forth. And so now you've got this debt debtor relationship. And at that point, there's no room for love because anything that the spouse does to try to show an act of love, they're just, they're just balancing the books, so to speak. They're just getting back to zero, getting back flush, getting back even, right? So that's kind of what we've been talking about. And, and the problem with the transactional marriage is, is the one with the stronger personality usually always wins because in most marriages, one of the partners, one of, either the husband or wife, has a stronger personality. And that person usually always wins. And in marriage, anytime someone wins, listen, this is important, in a marriage relationship, anytime someone wins, the relationship loses. In a marriage relationship, anytime someone wins, the relationship. When you win, we lose. When I win, we lose. And that's what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. How to keep our hopes, dreams, and desires from becoming or feeling like expectations. And the way that you do that is you have to make a decision. 
You have to make a decision where you decide that he doesn't owe me, she doesn't owe me anything, right? Uh, yes, this is what I desire. It's kind of what I, what I had anticipated, but I'm not expecting him. I'm not expecting her to make them come true. And then last week, we looked at the secret sauce of a happy marriage. And that secret sauce is this whole idea of mutual submission. In other words, if you're a Jesus follower, your marriage is a race to the back of the line. In a Christian marriage, it is a submission competition. Everybody's trying to put the other person first. And if you do argue, if you do argue, you, you argue over who can put the other person first. That's what it should look like in a Christian marriage, right? Uh, how can I put them first? How can, how can I... Uh, uh, get to the back of the line? How can I put them at the front of the line, right? But even if we understand and begin to embrace the secret sauce of marriage and begin putting our spouse first, still, what do we do with these? What do we do with these hopes, dreams, and desires? And the good news is, Peter tells us, we throw them. We throw them. Now, let's read what he said. But first, I want to tell you why we should listen to Peter, because Peter spent uh, three or so years following Jesus, um, but after Jesus left this earth, Peter went on to help other people become Christians and teach what Jesus taught. And like our Lord, he also faced extreme, extraordinary persecution. And eventually, Nero, the same Nero who had Paul beheaded, that Nero ordered Peter's execution as well. And tradition says that Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as our Lord. Isn't that amazing, right? But that's how committed he was to our Lord. But Peter knew what it was like to be with Jesus. He knew, he knew what Jesus taught, but he also knew what it was like to face extraordinary hardship. And so Peter tells us exactly what to do with all the things in our box because he gives us a relational principle that, while specific to marriage, it certainly applies as well as what we're about to look at. But full disclosure, be warned. What Peter says is not only a little weird, it's also a little uncomfortable to hear. But honestly, as difficult as what Peter has to say is, we're still better off listening to him, right? After all, what else are you going to do with your box? Right? What else are you going to do with this, right? You already know the other alternatives don't work, so what have you got to lose? So, so what are you going to do with this stuff? Uh, ignore it? Uh, pretend it doesn't exist? You can't do that and not, not main, you can't do that and maintain a healthy marriage. Well, I'll just stay busy and keep myself occupied. Okay, you try that for a while and then let me know how that works. All right? Pour more time into your job or, or spend more time with the girls or spend more time with the guys and, or spend more time in that hobby. And before long, you're no longer a couple. You're just roommates. And come on, that's not what you signed up for when you got married, right? You didn't sign up just to, to you didn't get married just to have a roommate, right? So that's no fun, and, and it certainly doesn't model anything positive for your kids, right, if you have kids. So staying busy isn't an answer. Creating your own world isn't an answer. All that does is set you up for another option, which is finding someone else. And sadly, that happens occasionally. But i got to tell you right now, if you're married, that's not a viable option for you. But sadly, by that time, most couples just don't care anymore anyway. Right? They've just had enough. They don't care anymore. But here's what you need to know. If you're unhappily married right now, getting out of the relationship seldom solves anything. You know why? Listen up, because th this is really deep. This, this statement I'm about to give you, it's Pastor, Pastor C is going to drop some knowledge on you. Okay? So lean in and listen here. The reason getting out of your unhappy marriage doesn't solve anything is because, are you ready? Here it comes. Wherever you go, 
there you are. Wherever you go, there you are, right? You can tweet that if you want. In other words, you go with you. Part of my Bible reading right now is I'm reading through Proverbs and whatever day of the month it is, is, is the proverb that I read. Yesterday I was reading Proverbs 20. And listen to what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, listen to this statement. In Proverbs 20, verse 27, the Lord gave us mind and conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. Literal translation, wherever you go, there you are, right? And whatever part of the relationship problem that you are, whatever part of the problem that you have contributed, you're just going to take that into the next relationship, right? So simply swapping out people doesn't solve anything because you're still the same person you used to be. And just because somebody else couldn't fulfill your hopes, dreams, and desires, what makes you think that, you know, you go find someone else to find them and they're like, they're going to do that? And look, this is another thing here, you know, and we'll move on because this is really kind of for another sermon. But you think about this. This is really true. People don't rush into a new relationship because they're eager to give their lives to someone else. No, no. In other words, if you're unfulfilled and feel like you're stuck in an unhappy marriage, when you think about moving on to another relationship, you're not thinking, oh, I just met this wonderful person and I can't wait to see what's inside their box so I can help their hopes, dreams, and desires come true. Nah, no. That's not why you're looking for someone new, right? And by the way, that's not what they're looking for either. People don't jump into a new relationship because they just can't wait to begin submitting to him as unto the Lord or loving her sacrificially as Christ loved the church. No, no, no. Come on, be honest. You're hoping to get something that you aren't currently getting in your current relationship. You're hoping to fill a void inside of you. You want something to start happening inside of you that hasn't been happening in the relationship that you're in now. So be honest, this isn't about giving yourself. You may just be looking for somebody to get the stuff from and get the affection from and get the affirmation from that you're not getting in your current relationship. And you need to be honest with yourself to acknowledge that and admit that if you're looking for a new relationship, it's not because you just want to be selfless with someone new. No, it's because I got this dang box and I'm tired of lugging it around and I'm ready to give it to somebody who cares because I think he or she can do a better job. See, just getting into a new relationship doesn't mean anything. Nothing changes except the face and the address. So the question for today is, what in the world do we do with this stuff, right? Well, as I've already said, we throw it. But before we throw it, we have to have the right mindset and attitude. And that's what Peter addresses first. Before he tells us to throw these things at God, he says this in 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. Clothe, that's an interesting word that Peter uses here. What do you do with clothes? You put them on, right? You put them on. In other words, Peter's saying that we need to put on those things that are characteristic of humility. Literal translation, go small. Go small. Go to the back of the line. As it applies to marriage in every decision, in every transaction, in every point of contention or conflict, pause and ask yourself, what would a humble person do here in this situation? What would a humble person do? And look, even if you don't consider yourself to be a humble person, you should still know what a humble person does. See, humility is one of those character traits that can be somewhat elusive because the moment we claim to have it, we've lost it, right? Oh, yeah, I'm humble. I'm, I'm humble, right? Kind of like the guy who wrote the, that book, Humility and How I Achieved It, with 50 pages of footnotes and illustrations at the end, right? So, so here's what you do. You know, you, you just... 
you know, you, you've got to learn how to put on humility and ask yourself in that, in that heat of the moment, what would a humble person do? If, if humility doesn't come naturally, you know, that's okay. Just start doing things that a humble person would do because contrary to what you might think, people aren't born humble. Humility is a trait that can be learned, and some of you learned that the hard way, didn't you? Some of us learned that, that the hard way, that humility is something that we, that we can learn. So the next time you find yourself at a point of contention or an impasse with your husband or wife, instead of defaulting to what you've always done before, instead of powering up and convincing or coercing or shrinking back and, 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 and placating and compromising, just stop and ask yourself, okay, what if I were to go small here? Or what if I were to go to the back of the line here? What would that look like in this situation? What would a humble person do? still trying to connect the dots here between what Peter's saying and your marriage. If you want to know the end game here, Peter tells us why we should do this in the second part of the verse. Why humility, Peter? Why do we need to clothe ourselves with humility? For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why humility, Peter? Because God opposes the proud. Question, how many of you would like to be in opposition to God? Fact is, some of you are in opposition to God. Some of you have been stiff-arming God for a while now. And Peter, who knew Jesus personally, said that God pulls back from proud people. That's really a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? And Because you, know, you think, man, that's kind of harsh, you know, that God would do that. Well, let me remind you that you do the same thing. You do the exact same thing. Think about it. You're not drawn to arrogant, haughty people. You pull back from egotistical, brash people as well, right? Don't you resist haughty, condescending people? People are always trying to, to squeeze out of you whatever they can get out of you for their benefit and only think about themselves, and they really think about how their behavior is in, in, impacting others and especially you. But look what he says. Peter says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. The Living Bible says, God gives special blessings to those who are humble. What an extraordinary promise there. In other words, Peter says, when you humble yourself in a relationship, it opens the door for God to do something amazing in that situation, in that environment, in that relationship. And that brings us to the second promise or the, the purpose and result of humbling ourselves or going small. Verse 6, 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. When we choose to go small, when we choose to go to the back of the line, so to speak, we are actually posturing ourselves for a future promotion in God's timing from God. And then just in case his readers are still struggling, trying to make sense of what he's talking about, he distills it down to an emotion that we can all relate to. What does it mean to go humble? What does it mean to put others first in this context? What does it mean to rest under God's mighty hand? What does that look like, Peter? Verse 7, casting all your anxieties. Here it is. You want to know what to do with this? You throw them. You cast them on him because he cares for you. Now, in the context of our series on relationships, these anxieties that Peter would be referring to would be what's in our box. What's in our box here? Cast all your anxiety, all your frustrations, all your, but, but he promised, but, but, but she said this, but, but I thought things would be different. Cast all your anxiety on him. In other words, this is an invitation to unload on God. He's saying, look, instead of trying to get your husband or your wife to carry this stuff around, 
Just cast it, just, just chuck it, fling it towards God, your heavenly Father. All your anxieties, all your cares, all your frustrations, all your unfulfilled hopes, dreams, and desires, all your, he promised, she said that, she, I believe this, and she broke it, or she violated this, or I thought, you know, we talked through this and so forth. All of that. No, just, just fling it towards God. In other words, Peter says, from now on, before you take it to him, before you take it to her, take it to God. And when you do, when you do, because listen up, because this is important, because this is where some of you might push back a little bit, especially if you're, if you're new or relatively new to the faith. When you cast these things on the Lord, I would suggest doing two things. First, be open and honest when you do this. Be brutally honest when praying for your marriage. Honest with God, honest with yourself. And second, I would suggest getting down on your knees by yourself. Seriously? What are you saying, Pastor, that, that, that God can't hear my prayers unless I'm on my knees? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. The reason that I would suggest getting on your knees when praying about this is because being on your knees demonstrates the thing that Peter just said that we should clothe ourselves with, humility. In fact, though, if you're really desperate, not only should you get on your knees, maybe even raise your hands. Ooh, right? Why? Again, what do raised hands have to do with anything regarding prayer? Well, think about it. Who raises their hands? Who raises their hands? Last weekend, we watched two of our granddaughters, and there were a couple of times during the, the course of the weekend, uh, they would come up, and, and, and they would walk up, and they would raise their hands. Now, what are they saying when they did? They're saying two things. First of all, they're saying, I want you to pick me up. And second, they're saying, I'm depending on you. I am dependent on you. So why is our posture important when we pray? Because your brain is connected to your body and your posture sends your mind signals and your mind sends your body signals. Author Bob Goff, who, who wrote the book Love Does, and I would highly recommend you reading that book if you haven't read it. Some of you have. But in his book Love Does, he shares this amazing story that illustrates this, this interesting fact. You know, for many years, Bob was an attorney and practiced law. And when he was doing depositions or when one of his clients was being deposed and having to go to a, through a deposition, he would always tell his clients, he would instruct them, when they go up to testify, when they sat down at the table, that they should rest their arms on their legs with their hands at their knees, but, but this is what he said, keep your hands open. He instructed them to keep your hands open. Why? Because it's virtually impossible to be defensive when your hands are open. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but the next time you find yourself getting defensive about something, digging in to stand your ground, look at your hands. See, what you, see if your hands aren't clenched, right? In other words, here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, you're, you're going to take all this, this defensive energy and, and posture somewhere. Why not start with your father in heaven? Not the person in the cubicle next to you. Not that child that just stormed out of the kitchen to their bedroom in anger and rolled their eyes. Not, that, not your wife that just is on the other side of the bed. But your father in heaven. Take, this, take these things to him first. And look, this wasn't something that Peter made up. This whole cast your cares on the Lord thing, he didn't just make that up. He actually stole it from the Old Testament. An Old Testament character by the name of David. And in case you didn't know, David wrote most of the Psalms. And hundreds of years before Peter wrote this down, David wrote this in one of his Psalms. In Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden. Some translations say cares. One translation says troubles. Cast your burden, cast your cares, cast your troubles on the Lord and he will sustain you. And if you read that, you're like, 
how does someone do that, right? How do you cast a burden, a care, your troubles on the Lord? I mean, who wouldn't, I, who wouldn't sign up for that? I want to do that, but how, does, how do you do that, Pastor? Well, first of all, again, you have to be open and honest when you do this. Don't, don't try to downplay your frustration. Don't try to buffer it. I mean, if you're ticked off, God already knows. <laughs> you're not hiding anything from him, right? He already knows. You know, look, you, you, really, know how to, you really know how to pray an intense prayer, whether you realize it or not. Uh, if you've ever lost your temper, then you know how to pray an honest prayer, right? Uh, if, you've ever, uh, uh, if you've ever gotten mad at someone, then you know how to pray an honest prayer. That's, what, that's, that's part of what praying is. Read some of the Psalms and you'll see that David pulled no punches when he cast his cares upon the Lord. He wasn't just honest. He was sometimes brutally honest with God. And that's what we need to be when we cast our cares upon the Lord. I mean, come on. He already knows how we're feeling. We're not gaining anything when we try to hold back or, or hide our emotions. And those of you who are married, you know that. You know that marriage can be emotional at times. Marriage is a strange relationship because there's times that that person that you love the most, you can hate the most, isn't it? Oh, you know I'm speaking truth now, right? Seriously, marriage is that, it's, it's that, it's that type of dynamic. And even though we're not given much description of Jesus' posture when he prayed, here's what you, here's what you need to know. We know that there were times when the disciples, including Peter, would watch Jesus go off and pray somewhere alone. And when this happened, they, they, would, they would observe Jesus. And when they got done, they, they would watch Jesus, and then they would look at each other, and they would say, you know, I don't think we're doing this right, which is interesting because these were all good Jewish boys who grew up in good Jewish homes who were taught how to pray. And yet, in spite of being taught how to pray all their lives, when they saw Jesus pray, they saw him do something that they weren't doing. Now, we're not told exactly what they saw. Perhaps there were times that Jesus was quiet and they couldn't hear anything. And maybe they're like, did he fall asleep? You know, we can't hear anything. But then there were times that he was maybe a little more animated and loud and perhaps a little more boisterous in his praying. But here's what we do know. One time after Jesus went off to pray alone and came back, they approached him and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. That's how we know that they saw something in him, right? And so they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And, of course, Jesus' response is what we know today as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. So fast forward about 30 years. Peter's writing a letter of encouragement to some, some of the persecuted Christians in Asia Minor. And he says, he says, okay, when I was following Jesus, I learned a few things about prayer. And one of the things that I learned was that it's okay to unload on your Father in heaven. Just cast, throw, fling those things at him. And when you look at the context of this Old Testament quote of David that Peter references, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. If you back up and read the entire chapter, you'll see why David made that statement. David wrote that statement in response to being betrayed by a close friend. So, so listen to how this man after God's own heart prayed one time after feeling betrayed by someone close to him. In Matthew, or excuse me, Psalm 55 Verses 12 to 15. This isn't the neighborhood bully. This is a message paraphrased, by the way. This isn't the neighborhood bully mocking me. I could take that. This isn't a, a foreign devil spitting invective. I could tune that out. It's you. We grew up together. You, my best friend. And you, you can feel the sting of betrayal in his words here. Not unlike the sting of betrayal that sometimes plays out in a marriage. Those long hours of leisure as we walked arm in arm, 
God a third party to our conversation. Now, granted, David wasn't speaking about a spouse here. He was referring to a close friend. But the principle still applies. It would be like you praying, I can't believe that he would do that. I can't believe that she did that, right? The same one with whom I, I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. We go to church. You know, I, I shared my life with them. I shared my bed with them. The one I bore children with. We used to go to church together. We walked uh, among the worshipers together. And when you come to church and people look at you and they're like, oh, look at that sweet couple. And you're sitting there thinking, you ought to see what he just said to me. You don't know what she said to me on the way to church. Right? So you put on these masks, right? But on the inside, you're thinking, I can't believe this is happening to me. And he continues, Psalm 55, verse 15. Haul my betrayers off alive to hell. Let them experience the horror. Let them feel every desolate detail of a damned life. Literal translation, to hell with them. That's what he's saying there. You talk about a brutally honest prayer. That's what he's saying there. He keeps going. Verses 16 and 17, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. See that? When David prayed, it wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a mild little meek prayer. You know, he didn't pray on his, on his way to work in the morning listening to the radio. He didn't pray while shaving or getting ready for work. It says evening, morning, and Evening, morning, and noon. Evening, morning, and noon. Evening, morning, and noon. He says, I uttered my complaint. And then watch this. And moaned. Literal translation. When I'm burdened, when I feel like I've been betrayed, when it seems like, like he always wins or she always wins, I let her fly to God. I just let her fly to God. I fling it to God and moan. In other words, I don't care who hears me. I don't care. I cry out in distress. And when I do, I know God Here's my voice. David said, sometimes I'm so desperate and frustrated, I pray three times a day. And I pray loud, and they're not polite prayers. And when I do, I know God hears me, and he rescues me. He says, even in the midst of this battle, even when I feel like I've been betrayed, God helps me. My companion, this person I thought was a friend, he broke his promise. She violated her covenant. He said, she said, I thought we were on the same page. Didn't we agree? Haven't we talked about that? He always wins the argument. She always wins the argument. Right? David says, through all this, through these feelings of anger, betrayal, and hopelessness, David recenters himself, and he makes this statement that Peter stole and used in one of his letters that became part of the New Testament years later. He says, cast, throw, Fling your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken, or he will never let the righteous be brought down. But you, God, verse 23, but you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Now, that's not a nice prayer. <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't a nice prayer, right? But I'll tell you what it is. It's an honest prayer. It's a very honest prayer. So question. Have you ever talked to God the same way that you've talked to your husband or your wife when they disappointed you or let you down? Some of you are like, I didn't know I could talk to God that way. Well, you can. Read the Psalms. David did. So listen up, husbands. Listen up, wives. I'm not saying that you should pray that God would send your spouse to hell. That's not, that's not the point here. As, as tempting as that might be for some of you. <clears throat> but here's, here's Peter's point. You're going to vent at someone. You're gonna, you've got to be heard. You're going to vent at someone. 
why not pause, clothe yourself in humility, and fling that to God before you fling it at your spouse? Give God a chance to intervene in that situation. But, but, but pray honest, bold prayers because, because that's an expression of humility. And humility is an invitation for God to do something remarkable in your relationship. But be warned. Be warned when you start flinging the things in your box at God, when you start casting your burdens and your cares, your anxieties on him, I got to warn you, the first remarkable thing that God does, listen, the first remarkable thing that God does when you clothe yourself in humility and begin praying bold, honest prayers, don't be surprised if the changes that you begin seeing aren't with the person on the other side of the bed, but with you. Because when you get down and dirty in your prayers with God, and pray those type of prayers with God, you're going to start seeing this box differently. You're going to start seeing this box differently. In fact, you might discover, you might discover that you both share some of the same things that are in that box, some of those hopes, dreams, and desires. But that transformation is not going to happen as long as you're taking these things to your spouse first. And so your heavenly father says, from now on, bring those things to me. Bring them to me. Just, just cast them my way. You see, happy couples know that hopes, dreams, and desires quickly become expectations. And happy couples know that they just have to decide the other person doesn't owe me anything. And happy couples know that it's a submission competition. It's a race to the back of the line. And happy couples know that sometimes you have to throw things, but those things are thrown at God, not your spouse. Because happy couples know that he's not your enemy. She's not your enemy. And there's one other thing that happy couples know, and we'll talk about that next week as we wrap up our series. Let me pray for you. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would help us all, but especially all the married couples, begin praying more open, honest, and bold prayers, especially when it comes to, to praying for their spouse. Remind them to come to you first when they feel the need to, to vent and be heard. And as they do, as they humble them, as they clothe themselves with humility, and they come to you in, in honesty and humility, I claim the promise of your word that says that you give grace to the humble. And I pray that that grace would begin changing hearts so that they might begin seeing their box differently and realize that it was, it was never their spouse's responsibility to make those things come true in the first place. So beginning today, right now, I pray that every couple would choose to hand these things over to you. Or as Peter and David said, cast them upon you, Lord. Just, just chuck them your way. And as they do, I pray that you would bring health and healing and hope to marriages as couples begin to realize, maybe for the first time, the tremendous blessing and fulfillment that you had in mind when you created us as man and woman to live together under your lordship in the marriage relationship. And Lord, if there's any here this morning, watching, listening, they're not in the right relationship with you. Perhaps they've never formally invited you to be a part of their life, or maybe, maybe they had at some point, but, but that relationship's not what it used to be for whatever reason. Maybe it was a marriage that didn't work out, and as a result, not only was the marriage fractured, but so was their relationship with you. Lord, whatever the reason, doesn't matter. God's grace is able to overcome all that if, if you would just be willing to trust him or trust him again. And it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where God could do just that. So 
I'm going to invite you to, to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it quietly. You can pray it under your breath. You can kind of sort of repeat these words in your mind, or you could just say in your heart, Lord Jesus, I want to experience your grace and mercy today. I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for the, my sins. I admit I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I'm inviting you to be mine right now. Come into my life. Forgive me. Help me begin living my life for you as I look to you and your word to guide and direct me each day from now on. I believe you're the Son of God who is rich in mercy. Come into my life right now. In Jesus' name, amen.